1: Welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. Mark and Mark, Daly and Hamilton, welcome you back to the, well, it's not quite the pit wall, into the Scooteria F1 garage, pull up a chair, the energy drink of your choice. That seems to be a very Formula One thing, is the energy drink, or, you know, an adult beverage if it's that time of night, and... Uh, you're looking to relax. Anyways, guys, welcome back to the show. We're here to talk about what we like to talk about each and every day of our lives, and that's Formula One. And Mark, busy, busy week in Formula One. You know, this has to be the most news filled off season that there is, or just the journos out there just writing more because everybody's bored as hell at home in the midst of uh COVID restrictions anywhere. Either way, it's uh it's it's a win for us because uh lots of things to talk about this week. Yes. Oh, yes, right. we <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do.
0: I was being super awkward, but no, um, I, I agree. And you know, it's funny too, because a couple of weeks ago, as the season was ending, we're like, you know what, the, the season's going to come fast and furious, and it's got pushed back a little bit. But I just did a little bit of math before the show started. It is still 58 excruciating days. Like, mm. it's still two full months before we kind of get to qualifying in Bahrain. But uh, I'm glad there's a lot of stuff going on, because it gives us something to talk about. It gives us something to to read about. But uh Yeah, I'm happy. And it's, it's been. Positive news stories, you know, like I think yeah. a lot of times in the off season, there's stories about teams going into administration, and they're kind of negative stories. Like the stories that we've had this season, this off season have been been juicy and tangible. But with the exception of a lot of the stuff around Haas, which I kind of want to put out of my mind, yeah. um, it's yeah. been meaningful stories. Like it's been good stuff to talk about. So uh, I'm excited for this podcast. And you know, I, I should mention as well, somebody gave me some really good feedback the other day that they've been catching up on the podcast because they really like the show but they'd accidentally been listening to some many, many, many months old episodes. And their recommendation (laughs) is we should probably call out the date at the beginning of every episode. I'm like, hey, that actually kind of makes sense. So I would love if we could start to throw in that, hey, you're listening to this podcast probably Friday, January 29th. It's 28th when we record, but you'll probably listen to it on
1: the 29th or later. Exactly. By the time it drops and it gets uploaded everywhere, it's going to be on the 29th. And I can't believe we're almost a month. We got the first month of 2021 behind us. It actually kind of came up and smashed me in the face. I'm like, where did the last three and a half weeks go? Like, really, guys? It's... uh a little bit uh, frightening, but hey, before we get into the news uh, for this week, I wanted to do something that uh, that we've been a little bit neglectful about uh, recently, and that's to jump into the mailbag. Uh, we've had a, a couple of uh, really good uh, emails uh, lately. Uh, first one I want to uh, read out is from uh, Paul Edgar out in uh, Brampton, Ontario. Anyways, uh, Paul has to say, hey boys, love the podcast. I listen as soon as it hits Apple Music uh, Podcast Library, even if it means having to delay listening to my other subscriptions. Hey, th- this email started off great. Anyways, uh, Paul goes on to say, correct me if I'm wrong here, but Lawrence Stroll's ownership of the newly named Aston Martin F1 team, is this not the second Canadian to own this team? I did some history tracking of this team and before Aston Martin, it was Racing Point. Before Racing Point, it was Force India. Before Force India, it was Spiker F1. Before that, Midland F1, which was owned by Canadian Alex Schneider. And all of this having started by Eddie Jordan and Jordan Grand Prix. Hell of a lineage. Just found it interesting. Thanks, Paul and Brampton. Yeah, I, I checked it out and uh, absolutely he's, he, he's nailed on the head and I'd actually forgotten about some of those connecting uh pieces in between there and and what uh, like, like he says what a lineage I mean you go back you look uh, Jordan came into f1 in 1991 of course they're they're best known I think in their early days for the big splash that Michael Schumacher made at spa and what was it 1992 and they competed for what up to about 2004 2005 and then it's yeah. kind of changed uh, changed hands uh, ever since but but uh, you know, it's funny. I was thinking, uh, just thinking about that. Uh, you know, that that you know, all those teams in there. And it's kind of interesting, too, because, you know, it's that, that connection with uh, Force India into Racing points, And Jordan was always kind of one of those sort of middle-of-the-pack kind of teams that could kind of surprise on their day, but with a little bit more kind of like party, rock and roll kind of a- attitude. And I think that had to uh, do a lot with uh, Eddie Jordan himself. So that that was kind of a, a really uh, cool one. But uh, thanks for that, Paul. And I just want to show you guys something here. I'm going to try and get it onto the camera if you guys can see. Well, obviously, you guys watching on YouTube will see it. So this is kind of cool. Anyways, uh, that is a print that I have hanging up in uh, in the in my office here, the computer room, whatever you want to call it. It is a a print of uh, Damon Hill winning uh, the first Grand Prix for Jordan back at the nineteen ninety eight uh, Belgian Grand Prix. So you know, of course, they had uh, some some very memorable times at Spa, and I just uh, you know. It doesn't really do it justice, but that's a print that I've had for a very, very long time. And you probably saw it, too. Like, it was hanging up on the wall here. You know, it's been a year. It's yeah. been a year since we did our first collaboration as Flash F1 and Scuderia F1. And I mean, gosh, I mean, you know, th- this last year has gone both uh, fast and slow at uh, the, the same time. But uh, great email, Paul. Thanks for, for for sending that in. And the other one is actually from from a couple of weeks ago uh, from Troy Sneller. He says, Hey guys, absolutely love the pod. I was also a big fan of the Flash F1 pod. So when you joined forces, it was a dream come true. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Paul has a, or sorry, Troy has a really good a question here just about, um, you know, te- techniques and the, the, the technical side of uh, Formula One. And actually, we're, we're not going to, you know, push it to one side on purpose. But I think I'm going to save this one for one of our season preview shows in a couple of weeks. I think that's the, the, the perfect opportunity. So, Troy, thanks for reaching out. We'll address that uh, in, in a couple of weeks once we got all the cars out there and we're doing some serious groundwork uh, for the, the, the season ahead. So, Mark, where do we want to start? <laughs> there, there, there's a lot of things here, but I think maybe we would be a little bit remiss if we didn't uh, maybe start right off the top and uh, deal with the, the the one big outstanding issue that's kind of uh, you know bridged a season and an off season and almost into the new season, and that is uh, that possibly Lewis Hamilton will sign his new contract within the week. Um, Total Wolf team principal at uh, Mercedes said that there's some legal what he called curve balls have been kind of thrown up and getting this all, all done uh but uh, it, it sounds like it's it's going to happen and you know as we've said a couple of times over the past uh, you know weeks and months that if it didn't happen it would be absolutely earth-shattering so it sounds like with the things kind of bubbling up to the surface that it uh, could just be a, a question just a matter of days now before it finally becomes uh finalized and made public
0: Do I live up to my promises most of the time? No. Do I fulfill my commitments? No. But I promised as recently as a week ago that uh, I would not talk about the Hamilton contract status again until it was on paper (laughs) and it was like in stone. But I I will absolutely comment on this. So once again, another broken promise. But hopefully we do see it within the next week. And I think one of the, and I I don't know if we were planning to talk on it later, but I I think one of the, the interesting tidbits that came out this week was the revelation that Apparently, during the contract negotiations, Toto and the Mercedes representation never actually addressed um, the potential leverage that they had in George Russell. And and it was it was funny because it was almost as if Mercedes were leaning into like, hey, look how classy we are. We didn't bring that up. But to be totally honest, if if I'm Hamilton and you did bring that up and you tried to leverage the negotiations with George Russell, I, I think you're putting some you're putting some friction in the relationship that may never go away. So I, to me, that was more just common sense that they didn't do that. But, please i want this is one story i really want to put to bed and honestly i I want to put it to bed because i really want to dissect it because i think that the terms of the agreement will tell us a lot about what hamilton's intentions are over the next couple of years like this is a guy you know we all know about his 40 million dollar penthouse in new york we all know that he has a huge compound in colorado and that's where he ultimately wants to retire because it's a short distance to la and to vegas and and to austin and all those kind of places so we know he's got some big plans but i'm really excited to to see what the terms of this deal are not so much the monetary terms but the length of the deal yes. is he going to commit to a year is he going to commit to two is he going to commit to three or is it potentially going to be a three-year deal that has a, a driver option after every single year because this will really really spell out what the next couple of years look like so my thought is if it was a one-year deal and that's all hamilton wanted it probably would have been done by now but my sense is it's probably going to be a two or three-year deal with driver options um whether Hamilton signs beyond that, I don't know, but I think he probably sees this as his last mega contract.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just uh, based on the age that he is now, with thirty-five, right, going yeah. on thirty-six. I mean, which seems like a, you know a bit of a mind blower because he, <laughs> to me, he still seems like that young guy that broke into McCl- uh, with, with McLaren uh, all those years ago. But yeah, I, I, I think we're reading between the lines, and you know, the, some of the claims that uh, and, and the, the the leaks that are sort of coming out to the news on the contract status are coming from Eddie Jordan, so that. Kind Kind of ties in nicely with the email that we read off the top of the show there, but I mean he still is well connected within uh, Formula One, and for me too, I, I think that uh, you nailed it right on the head. There's all these different things, and I think that's maybe what Toto's uh, hinting at when he's talking about some of these curveballs, is uh, maybe dealing with all these different uh, things, uh, different scenarios, or, or perhaps the way that Lewis wants to structure this uh, this con- uh, contract in, in terms of length and maybe options and, and whatever it might be. I mean. Face it. I mean, he, he can pretty much ask for whatever he wants in terms of salary yeah. right now. And Mercedes and Daimler Benz, they can pretty much afford to pay that, uh, that, that money. So I, I don't think, uh, for, for Lewis at this point, uh, that it's a, uh, you know, it's all to do with money. I mean, it would be a bad. Bad show on uh, Mercedes points, uh, you know, if they, if they try to lowball him. And I don't think Lewis at this point in his career needs to go with the hometown discount. I, I think he's earned No way. A, no way. No way. He, he's earned whatever he wants to ask for. So I, I think that any challenges might be, you know, the sort of the, the, the fine print, some of these things the, here. So
0: the other consideration, too, is the deal may not entirely be salary driven. Like if mm-hmm. you look at where he exactly. is uh, career wise, like you're right, it's 35, 36. Like this deal could be premised on an ongoing relationship with mercedes-benz it could be hey you know what we're going to provide stock that's going to vest every three five six eight years like the deal itself could be structured in a way that Probably isn't conventional to formula one and Mm -hmm. part of it could really just be mercedes saying hey look you know what you took us to places we never thought we'd be a two or three-year contract isn't enough we want to keep you in the mercedes family for the rest of your life and maybe they're building something and this is purely speculation but i just feel at this point in his career with what he's done for that brand and for that formula one racing team like they i feel like they owe him beyond a simple contract and all that garbage about well somebody else could have done it blah 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 blah. the reality is he was in that car he did it and he deserves whatever he can extract from these negotiations and the other consideration too is toto owns a third of this team right Mm -hmm. like it's not just that toto is a a kind of a salaried manager that's kind of guiding the ship he owns a third of that that organization he is as much influence in what hamilton's contract is going to look like as mercedes do themselves so So yeah, again, it's super excited to see what that's ultimately going to look like. And I think, and you know, I don't want to jump back, but the other thought I had about the Midland piece too is one, a shame on us for not making that connection to to a Canadian owner, but it was interesting. And this is the one thing that I did recall is, they were super short-lived, obviously, the Midland F1 team, but they actually became registered and licensed as a Russian team. That's right. They were so, the
1: first Russian F1 team. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So it's
0: kind of funny. So he he moved when he was young to Israel and Canada, and he became uh, quite wealthy in the business world in Canada. But I always thought it was kind of funny. And maybe that's one of the reasons I kind of discarded it, because he did go down that Russian route. But either way, he had a Canadian passport, Canadian owner. Yeah, absolutely right, and shame on us.
1: Yeah, no, that that was well spotted by Paul. Is uh, really, really, really good. Um, but you know, there, there's a couple things here that I want to talk about, like the, the the Hamilton contract, and and this was an right. interesting quote that came out that uh, Valtteri Bottas says he does not care. If Lewis Hamilton uh, signs a a new deal. Now, if you're a journalist, uh, you know, this is like the perfect quote for somebody to like to to throw out. And I don't think that this is so much aimed at uh, at Lewis, but I I think you're sort of reading between the lines. I think that this uh, because uh, so he was um, talking to uh, Racing News 365, or this is where the quote came uh, came from. uh, And I think came from Pelicans TV, which I'm not familiar with. Anyways, uh, Bottas had to say, quote, I do not care. All Formula One drivers are good, so whoever gets it will be tough. For now, I can better focus on myself, end quote. So to me, that is not so much aimed at Lewis. To me, kind of reading between the lines, I was thinking, well, you know, if Lewis wasn't to be there, who are they going to replace him with? And then, uh, you know, the, obviously the one that gets uh, thrown in there all the time was uh, George Russell, Right. So I, I think that, uh, that Valtteri is probably thinking, uh, well, you know, whoever they throw in that car is going to be a pretty, pretty tough, uh, challenger for me. Be it, uh, you know, Lewis Hamilton, seven time world champion, you know, record holder of so many different categories or a young hard charger like, uh, uh, like George Russell. But it's going to be really interesting, you know, come six months from now, once we get into the summer. You know that that's usually sort of like that that sort of time of the year when 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 Bottas is renegotiating uh, his uh, his contract uh, you know his latest one year deal with the Silver Arrow so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out over the year and the 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 news or maybe the lack thereof that comes out over the the the, the course of the season regarding uh, Bottas and his contract status for with with them for 2022 so I thought that was kind of a neat quote. But uh, definitely I think that uh, I, I think he's looking over his shoulder. I think he's feeling a little bit of uh, pressure to hold on to that seat.
0: You gotta wonder too, and, and I've thought about this in the past, how many of the questions that Botas has asked? kind of fielded over the last three or four years has been related to something outside of his control, right? So again, I don't feel bad for the guy. He's a millionaire. He He's part of the Formula One world. He's driving the best car on the grid year yeah. in and year out. But I do wonder how many of the questions he gets are about – his future are about Lewis Hamilton. And, and I think maybe there's a little bit of frustration here as well. Like th- there's different ways you can answer that question, right? Like, hey, I don't want to, you know what, it's team policy. We don't comment on other drivers. I'm happy with whoever's here. Hamilton's a great teammate, but the I don't care, I think it's just a, he's probably a little bit frustrated and it, it's mm-hmm. tough to it's tough to put the the quote into context when you see it on paper right like for all we know it's a super abrasive reporter that's badgering him and badgering him and things like that but ultimately i don't feel bad for Bates, but you know i, I think he's in a position where he's regularly having to def his presence on that team and Mm -hmm. you know what you and i've talked about this like that's only going to continue this year he's he's on a one-year deal i don't see mercedes re-upping um and maybe they do ultimately if we learn that hamilton's disinterested in continuing on past 2021 anything's possible but if hamilton secures a two or three-year deal and he's committed to 2022 um, I, i i gotta think that it's gonna be uh george russell's seat the next year um and until that's confirmed Poor Bottas is going to be facing that question day in and day out in every media pen and in every media availability, and and hopefully for his sake, his uh his publicist and and his agent will try to keep him out of that sphere a little bit so he can keep his head on on
1: the racing piece, but. But yeah, interesting quote for sure. Interesting quote for sure. Yeah, context really, really does matter. Now, the next one, sticking with uh, Lewis Hamilton, I thought this was interesting, uh, but maybe not a surprise. He said that he would not have won another world championship had he stayed with uh, McLaren. And of course, Lewis uh, won his first uh, world championship uh, with uh, McLaren all those years ago, back in 2008. And it's really kind of cool. The picture that uh, that I saw. This one was actually a, a, a quote they pulled off uh, PlanetF1.com, and it's really cool. There's a you know old school picture of Lewis uh, wearing the, uh, the 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 sort of gray and uh, orange uh, Vodafone McLaren overalls. You know, sort of uh, you know pre you know it, it, it's Lewis as we remember him, but not the Lewis that uh, that that we kind of like we're, we're familiar with uh, right now. But it's really cool. I remember actually going to Japan in 2007. I remember in Tokyo 2007 seeing a lot of tag Hoyer uh you know posters and, and advertising and seeing Lewis as the poster boy even way back when so you know they uh, they obviously knew that uh, or or hoped that uh, that he was going to be something uh, big and ultimately he did but it uh, I, I don't think that there's really too much uh, of a surprise that uh, that that Lewis would say that you know had he stuck with uh, with McLaren that he would not have won a, another world championship.
0: You know, I had to go back and look at the the data for really those 2009, 10, 11, 12 seasons because in in my in my mind it's kind of a, a muddy era for Lewis. Like, you know, he he enters the sport in 2007, he misses the title by a point to Mm -hmm. uh Kimi Raikkonen like he's one point away from the championship in his rookie year in in 2008 his his I guess his sophomore year um he ultimately wins the driver's title but he does it at the last race of the season with just a couple laps after poor Felipe Massa and Ferrari started celebrating like it, it was a it was a a crazy conclusion, but ultimately like he enters the sport and he's a dominant force right away. And then by, by his third season, he's fifth in the championship and then fourth in the championship and then fifth uh, and then fourth, like, he He kind of dropped off, and in in my head that there was a real period of struggle with the car struggle on the track um he was absolutely a tabloid sensation you know when you look at that two thousand and nine to two thousand and twelve period, he was in the papers and he was in the tabloids for all the wrong reasons and I think when he sits down in twenty or thirty years or ten years and he does a biography, I think he's going to be pretty humble to admit that there was a lot of distractions in his life in terms Mm -hmm. of his celebrity lifestyle and i think we all remember that 196 kilometer hour speeding ticket he got in france like there there was a lot going on and i think the media latched onto it but those years you know between his departure from mercedes and that title weren't terrible right like you know in 2010 the title decider came down to the final race and, and ultimately sebastian vettel won it but he was He had the opportunity to win that championship going into that final race. And I don't think people remember that. And, you know, I think as late as even, geez, if I look at this here, even as late as 2012, you know, he won one, two, three. Four races in that car, like that wasn't a particularly uncompetitive car. But I think the quote is accurate in the sense that if he committed to Mercedes and they'd made that transition to Honda, there Mm -hmm. was nothing he was going to be able to do. And then he would have wasted, and I shouldn't say wasted, but he would have foregone the prime of his career to drive an uncompetitive car. And I don't necessarily think he would have stayed. I think he would have recognized that this isn't a tenable situation, but he probably wasn't going to transition to Mercedes at that point because they would have had a successful driver pairing. But, but yeah, I think the quote is accurate. So that was a long rambling way of stating that yes, he would not have won another title with Mercedes. Yeah. But uh, McLaren,
1: but uh, you know, I, I think McLaren, McLaren, McLaren. Yeah. McLaren. yeah. You, know, he, uh, you know, it was just perfect timing for him though. Like everything just lined up right at the, the 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 perfect moment for that move from McLaren to Mercedes and ever since he put the you know put on those silver overalls and jumped into that Mercedes i mean they've literally rewritten history every year since 2014 had they done it two or three or four years in a row what would, would have been you know phenomenal but the fact that they continue to do it is just uh, absolutely uh, mind-blowing. Anyways, uh, let's take a quick break here on the Overtime Media Network. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, McLaren and uh, particularly Lando Norris, who got into a little bit of hot water a couple of months ago for dissing the goats. Anyways, we'll talk about that on the flip side. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. All right. Well, welcome back to the show that's always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. You are listening or watching the Senna and Prost of the Formula One (laughs) podcasting world. Uh, Maybe that's a little bit uh, self-glossing here, but... uh I guess, uh, well, it's maybe better than saying the Schumacher and Barrichello because then people, you know, who's Schumi and who's Barrichello, you know, but, uh, yeah, we, we gotta, I think we gotta pump ourselves up a bit. It's good for our confidence at least, but, uh, anyways, uh, how's, how's that for, uh, getting off track here a little bit? <laughs> anyways, time to write this ship and Lando Norris. Yes. Uh, so he was, uh, talking uh, a little bit earlier this week about, uh, some of the criticism that he got, uh, la- you know, at the end of last season, or about two thirds, three quarters of the way through. Uh, he, uh, it, well, I got I got to set this uh, properly because after, uh, Lewis set the, uh, or broke the record for his 92nd career win in, in Portugal, right after the race, Lando said that, uh, that Lewis is driving around in quote, in a car, which should win every race and, uh, also quote, has to beat one or two other drivers and that's it, end quote. So, uh he said after that he kind of backtracked a couple of days after that say so he was like a little, little bit careless he he never really meant to 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 offend lewis hamilton but you know, the, despite you know texting Lewis or whatever to apologize afterwards, but I mean, it was kind of in the uh, the you know the the, the uh, a race where he was uh, you know it was a bit of a tough race for him. He had a you know he clashed with the Lance Stroll, and then he had uh, some damage on his car. He didn't finish in the points, but I mean, it came across as extremely uh, disrespectful. I mean, you know, it's fine to have. I mean, I, I think that he does make uh, you know some you know some valid points. I mean, that Mercedes is the best car that should win every race I think that's been proven without a doubt pretty much uh, every race since uh, you know Australia 2014 and then he really has to beat one or two other drivers, and I think that's fairly accurate as well. Because I mean, realistically, there's only really one or two other drivers out there that have a legitimate shot to beat him. And one would obviously be his teammate, who has the identical equipment as he does, and uh, and Max Verstappen, who's been about the only other guy in the last year or so that's had a chance to to, to win races. You know, on on, on a more frequent uh, uh you know basis. However, just the timing of it is was just the wrong time to say it. You know, it, it just really came across as it, it, it's it was a bit of like sounded like he was being a poor sport. I mean, he just set the you know broke uh, broke the record, made history. And you know he he's saying that sort of thing right now, but uh, you know he uh, he he did kind of uh, go to, to uh, on afterwards uh, to say, and it was a quote on motorsport.com. He said, "quote There's no one I probably respect more in the paddock than Lewis and what he's done. I've got one podium, so it's not like I can talk and say he's not doing a good job because I know how hard it is to get a podium in the first place. I feel like I'm a nice guy and I try to be a nice guy all the time, but I also try to speak a bit of the truth sometimes and say what is true." And sometimes people don't like that. My comments and my comments, always within Formula One, will never be to take anything away from a driver, disrespect what they've been able to achieve, end quote. So yeah, uh, I mean, like I say, I don't think he was completely off base, but the timing, it was just, it was a wrong time, wrong place to say those things. Yeah, I, I, I don't
0: disagree with the timing. I, I don't like, and nobody thinks Lando's a bad kid. Everybody loves Lando. He's a great kid. He's personable. He's charismatic. He's got a fantastic social media presence. Um, and I actually appreciated the comments. And to your point, you know, I think if it had come after any race prior to this or subsequent to this, maybe people wouldn't have been so sensitive. Um, but at the end of the day, like he, he said something that is absolutely factual and i think it's something that most fans would agree with mm-hmm. i i hated the fact that he had to walk back the comments in public because i almost want and i don't know that the, he is the right person um for this role but i i wish sometimes there was a little bit a, a little more competitive animosity and competitive friction amongst some of the drivers and I think certainly we've seen that in the past with with Hamilton, Rosberg, and Hamilton, Alonso, and Schumacher, and and. Uh Villeneuve like we've seen it in the past and sometimes I worry that the F1 fraternity is a little bit too compact and a little Mm -hmm. bit too tight and maybe some of that last year was just a byproduct of the fact that they were living and eating and sleeping in very close quarters and I think you begin to bond with drivers that have similar kind of worldly experiences to you but I like to see a little bit more friction between these drivers and I like to see a little bit of animosity off the track partly because it's entertaining Um, so in this case you know what I don't think that's Lando and I don't think that will ever be who his character is. Um, But I also didn't disagree with his comments. But to your point, like, yeah, you know, in light of what Hamilton had achieved on that particular weekend, maybe there would have been a better time. But I also just appreciate him being humble and honest and transparent. And he shared what we think. And it probably also provides a bit of a window into what a lot of these drivers talk about off the track, right? Like if he's openly voicing this with the media, you got to think this is what the drivers talk about amongst themselves. And I think they are probably frustrated with the situation and they're probably very much looking forward to the next generation of car because they want to see some more parody. But I thought I think it's useful and valuable insight into the mindset of an actual F1 driver that they're thinking very much that we the way that we are as fans.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like he said, Oh, he sucks or he's overrated or, or something totally. like completely downright disrespectful and, and, and obviously not true. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it is interesting too, because I mean, so often and, and, you know, I, I've seen it time and time again. Um, you know, in, in other professional sports settings is that, you know, you know, people, you know, they, they, you know, athletes they get asked these questions and they always give you the correct politically correct like the you know they tow the party line whatever you want to call it it's yeah. always that bl- bland vanilla quote there yeah we had our backs up against the wall right. we did we, we 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 dug deep and we we played hard or whatever it is right and it, it's 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 almost you can almost predict what they're going to say so it's refreshing in a sense that uh that you know he he said what was on his mind you know that it probably would have been better maybe just to give it a bit of a space to say that but no how however like you say i think it is an interesting window because every once in a while you'll see an athlete or a driver that you know they'll, they'll they'll say something that is actually you know genuine and something that is very insightful and i think that was something that uh that 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 was really came out uh, from that quote from from lando but uh, sticking with lando apparently he and new teammate danny ricardo aren't going to be what they call a meme power couple now that they're both uh, paired up at uh, mclaren and i have to admit that that's I, i hope that they don't try too hard not to be like the meme power couple or or at least play. Because, I mean, they both have a great sense of humor. They're both, uh, you know, two very good drivers. Uh, I, I just hope that they don't try to be too serious about to being serious. You know what I mean? I completely agree. I, I think
0: one of the things I'm most excited about with seeing Ricardo going to McLaren is just continuing to see him... Share his personality in public, and if you ever get the opportunity to listen to a Daniel Ricardo interview, he did a great one with WTF1, or W... WTF one a couple years ago, and he did a a great uh, a great interview with the F1 Nation podcast during the off season. This guy's a a barrel of laughs. He's he's genuinely authentic, and we talk about this this situation where you know oftentimes with these drivers and these athletes, you get a lot of that. In Canada, we call it hockey talk. You know, Mm. we gave it our best shot and we grinded it out till the end, and blah 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 blah. But I think (laughs) Ricardo is both charismatic and funny and authentic, um, and I hope he doesn't change. And my suspicion is that. His mood rises and falls a little bit with the performance of the team. And I think if Mercedes, if if McLaren with their Mercedes power unit is relatively competitive this year, I think we'll see him opening up more. And I hope that's a thing. And I think if he struggles or if there's dynamic issues within the team, maybe we won't, but I want I want to see him. He's he's one of the most personable characters in the paddock, right? Like I come to Formula 1 because I know Lewis is going to win and I come to Formula 1 because Daniel's a great driver, but I also love his personality. And I think oftentimes in Formula 1 the drivers are pretty I don't want to say static, but they're they're pretty generic. They're these oftentimes these Western European kids that grew up in wealth and, and privilege. And they, they don't necessarily have a really robust, exciting personality. And you got Daniel Ricardo, who's this kid that grew up um, basically on a farm in Western Australia, swimming and biking and skateboarding and racing. And he's got this, larger than life personality and i want to see it and i Mm -hmm. just i hope i hope mclaren doesn't do anything to put a pause on it and i hope the team's successful enough that he feels he can continue to share that personality and i also hope because we really saw especially in 2019 we saw some really great um a really great dynamic between carlos Sainz and lando norris and i think that was a big storyline that season was that they're both young and they're fun and they get along and they joke in the paddock and I, i hope Daniel Ricardo, and I expect that Daniel Ricardo will be that, that same. Kind of serve that same function.
1: Yeah, you know, it's also funny too. It's like when you see like these. uh Well, maybe nowadays is a little bit different with the, the the COVID protocols and everything. But in normal times, you know, when when you see these guys like in the in the media pen after the races or whatever, you know, it doesn't matter which team it is. But there's always that one person from the team beside them with a little video didi- or a digital audio recorder, the iPhone or whatever, you know, recording everything like that. And you know, I, I've seen that a million times, like in press conferences as well. That you know. How can you expect one of these these players or drivers or or whoever to or coaches or, you know or t- you know whoever it is to really open up when they've, you've got like the senior manager of communications or media relations standing two feet beside you? Then afterwards, like, totally. Yo, bud, you shouldn't have said that afterwards. That was the wrong thing. You know, it's just like you're never going to be natural in, in that thing. And you know, I I I understand why they want to you know why they do that sort of stuff. But in my opinion, it takes away a lot uh, from from like the The whole, um, you know, the the whole—if you want to call it—genuineness of like an interview. Of of course, in a couple of minutes, you're never going to really get a real in-depth interview. But I find that when when you have a situation like that, and and you have like the media dude from the team standing right beside you, you're going to be more guarded. And I I often think it's a it's a a shame. But on the I want to. Oh, sorry.
0: I was just going to say, I do want to plug, um, and I promise I won't do this too often, but I want to plug an interview that Daniel Ricardo did with the beyond the grid podcast back in December, 2019, um, there's two parts to this podcast that are particularly compelling. One is when he tells a hilarious story about teaching his young, I can't remember if it's his young nef- nephew or niece, how to swear. That's hilarious. <laughs> but the other one too is he actually shares, and this kind of speaks to how transparent and authentic he is. Yep. He talks about the experience when he phone Christian Horner to tell him that he was leaving Red Bull and that he was going to Renault. And he basically shares like, hey, you know what? I called him. I said, I'm leaving. And he laughed because he thought it was so absurd. And he's like, <laughs> no, man, I'm actually leaving. I'm going to Renault. And Christian Horner's like, oh my God. So like, it's it's a great, super insightful podcast because again, sometimes you get these drivers that do these interviews and I listen to them like, and I'll be fair. I listened to a Lance Stroll interview recently and I'm just like, I turn it off. It was like, He's there and he's present and he's polite, but he's not giving anything. Yeah. And I, I listened to this Daniel Ricardo interview and he gives and he gives and he gives. So plug to Daniel Ricardo. I didn't mean to cut you off, but please track down that Beyond the Grid podcast from December 2019. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah, you can't go wrong. And the, the thing too is, um, just sticking with uh, Danny Ricardo is, uh, you know, if you go back to that season one of the uh, whatever the Drive to Survive on Netflix, there oh, was yeah. quite a bit, you know, of sort of like behind the scenes one on one stuff with uh, Danny Ricardo. I thought it was, I thought it was really cool because you you kind of get to see him away from the track. I thought it was very interesting, some of that stuff, you know, in and in, in around that time when he was, uh, you know, obviously thinking about it and then, you know, organizing that move to Renault, I, th- I thought it was really cool. And, you know, it, it's always nice to see these guys away from the track, kind of a little bit more personal setting. That's, that's why I think that series is particularly good to both those seasons.
0: That was the episode, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the episode where the camera crew follows him back to his parents' house in yes. Australia yes. and they're they're doing the barbecue outside. Yeah. I thought that was really great. And I thought the I, I think increasingly what makes Daniel um something of an exception in the sport is he's relatable in a way yeah. that that Nicholas Latifi and Lance Stroll and some of these other drivers aren't just because they come they may be great and charismatic and ex- reasonably accessible, but they come from a background of wealth and privilege. So they get opportunities that a lot of us maybe don't. Mm -hmm. And Daniel Ricardo didn't come from a background of wealth or privilege. And he did it the right way. And his parents sacrificed to give him the opportunity to compete in karting. And, you know, in that podcast as well, he talks about the fact that there was a point where his dad's like, man, if you're not going to take this seriously anymore, we as a family can't continue to sacrifice (laughs) to give you that, that opportunity to go out every Sunday and race, if you're not going to be fully invested. So, so yeah, I think that's another reason he's so relatable, but again, sorry to interject again.
1: That's okay. Because whatever I was going to say, you know, like just, just now was, uh, it's completely, it's gone now. So it, it obviously wasn't anything uh, important, but what is important McLaren sticking with them. They've actually revealed their launch date uh, for the MCL 35 M. That's going to be on the 15th of February. So just a little bit more than uh, two weeks. Wow. So that's a uh, pretty I- exciting. I mean, we're, 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 almost right into it. I mean, you, you said a little bit earlier, 58 days until the first Grand Prix, but it starts to get a little bit real. We think, Hey, in two weeks from now, we're going to have some uh, car launches and stuff like that. And that, that's always a, a great, great uh, time of year. But also, um, what I thought is very interesting about the, the, the new uh, McLaren for this uh, year is that uh, the, the fact that they're making the switch from the, the, the Renault to the Mercedes power unit is that they've Basically design what they're calling a brand new car for 2021, just to you know be able to mate that engine to their car, and it's basically a, a brand new uh, chassis. Uh, and and apparently this is interesting too. So most of the teams have kept roughly about 60 percent of the platform, the car that they had from last year that they're carrying over to this year, but uh, just with the huge uh, switch that they're they're doing is they they basically had to build it again from from the ground up, and uh, I I think that's going to be uh it's going to be fascinating to watch Uh, i i mean uh i i mean they've obviously come you know made some big leaps forward in the past couple of years switching from honda to to renault i mean it wasn't like this big you know quantum leap but they certainly have moved forward They, they they certainly seem to have a good chassis but now you know you've got like potentially a very good car getting obviously the best engine out there on the grid and you know, I have to admit, I'm, I'm salivating a little bit here to see what, what McLaren can do in 2021. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, there's some real financial considerations
0: here too, right? When you talk about the fact that we're now entering an era of a, a cost cap and there's only certain p- components that can be carried over versus certain components that have to be um, kind of rebuilt and redesigned. And And I think one of the things that we've discovered is that McLaren is carrying over literally every conceivable nut, bolt, screw, carbon fiber component possible to, to kind of make this financial requirement fit. The, the other thing too is, and one, I, I am super excited to see what McLaren can look like next year with a, a Mercedes power unit. But the other thing I was thinking earlier today too, is we often forget that Merce- or McLaren started the turbo hybrid era in 2014, with a Mercedes power unit. Now, I don't think that there's any value that they can extract from the fact that they ran a Mercedes power unit seven years ago because the cars are fundamentally different, the aerodynamics are different, blah, blah, blah. Everything's different. But there is some, there should be some human capital within that organization that is at least relatively familiar with the core design of the power unit and could possibly still have some pre existing relationships with some of the folks at, at Mercedes. Now, the other benefit to partnering with Mercedes is. Is not only do you have access to the power units, but they're far more generous than some of their contemporaries in terms of the resources that they make available on going throughout the season so obviously if you're buying a mercedes power unit you have access to two full-time mercedes engineers that travel with the team and are in the team's garage full-time you have access to full-time resources back at the mercedes factory like you get certain benefits that you don't necessarily get with a Renault, and that you don't necessarily get with other teams so i think this is going to be a great marriage but i cannot wait to see what this is going to look like especially with the strides they've made the last couple of years with that Renault power unit and not not to not to speak too ill of Renault but Renault wasn't super invested in that relationship. They weren't super invested in having a customer team and they weren't no. providing the resources that that McLaren are going to get from Mercedes in this partnership. So it's super 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 exciting to see. And to your earlier point as well, you're right like We're two weeks away basically from seeing the first of the cars start to appear. And that's when stuff really starts to get real, right? Like maybe 60 days out from the first race, but a ton of stuff happens between now and then. We see all the new cars, we see testing. All sorts of exciting stuff.
1: Absolutely. It was interesting, too, like uh, just to your point, uh, you're saying, okay, well, they had uh, Mercedes power back in 2014 and how it obviously doesn't really translate, uh, you know, all these years down the road. But they obviously, you know, the one thing that they're going to pick up on is just the, the the relationship because, you know, sort of trying to, you know, mate Te- uh, the you know, the 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 older spec engines and the cars didn't really work out because wasn't it Sauber in 2017? Didn't they have like a 2016 engine in the 2017 spec car? And yeah. I mean they they were pretty much uh, off the pace. But uh, anyways, um, let's take a, another break here. And when we come back, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, Aston Martin, and we'll we'll do that uh, just on the other side. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a moment. All right, well, welcome back to Scuderia F1, where we're always up to speed with Formula One. And, uh, well... We've been talking about a lot of stuff. We still got a lot of things to talk about before we uh, wind things up uh, tonight. And uh, well, this is a story that we've been uh, talking about uh, you know, quite a bit or speculating about uh, the last uh, couple of weeks. And uh, that is, uh, can Lance Stroll learn how to win being with uh, you know, teammates with four-time world champion uh, Sebastian Vettel? Uh, anyways, uh, well, Eddie Jordan. Well, let's. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. He seems to be all over Everywhere. the, the news. All over the place. I mean. Yeah, he said uh, you know, really uh, you know the 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 quote factory uh, this year. But uh, anyways, he really thinks this pairing of uh, you know, Sebastian Vettel and Lance Stroll, you know, coupled with uh, Lauren Stroll backing the team financially, is really putting uh, Lance in a good uh, situation to, to to learn how to win, and uh, he, he'll be able to you uh, know take a lot from Sebastian Vettel, and that, and that very much echoes what we said. Uh, we've talked about a couple of times over the last couple of weeks that if he's not able to put it uh, together right now, then he probably never will be able to. So certainly, I I think if you're Lance, you're probably licking your chops and excited to get started, but you have to think for a guy that's, Lance is what, 21, 22 now? Yeah, I mean, he's still pretty young, so I can't help but wonder if there, you know, might be a little bit of inherent kind of intimidation or... You know, the butterflies, at least, uh, you know, going into this new situation, because I mean, there's uh, there's there's expectations now that I think that uh, more than he's had in his first couple of years in Formula One.
0: With with all due respect to Sergio Perez, and, and I like him, you like him. I think we're all happy that he's found a, another seed in Formula One this year. We all know that, that Vettel's going to Aston Martin, and we've been talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks for two reasons. One is because it's a great marketing exercise for Aston Martin. If I'm Lawrence Stroll and I'm dumping hundreds of millions of dollars into this project, it's easier to market this team if I have a world championship driver in one of my two cars. But I think bigger than that is... Obviously, I, I'm really invested financially to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars in my son, who also drives for this team, developing to a world-class standard, to be competing for world championships. And if you have the opportunity to bring Vettel in with the understanding that part of your role is going to... Um, pass on your knowledge and help nurture lance then then i think that's a good gig so i i think he's there partly for the marking opportunity partly because he's still a capable driver and he's going to get as much out of that car as possible he's going to be able to pass a lot of really powerful information onto the engineers but also just because i think it's going to be a, a strong mentorship role for him with lance and i think with everything that his dad's done in terms of pairing him with a driver like like uh, Vettel, who's at a stage in his career where this is probably something that he would be invested in doing in terms of all the money he sunk into the team and the factory and the cars and the staff and the people capital. If, If Lance can't be successful despite all of this, then he probably just doesn't have the raw talent. And I'm confident that he does. And I think that they have the recipe now or the formula now to start unlocking what we've seen in flashes over the past four years.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, flashes is the best way to put it. And I mean, I, I still feel so bad for him because that, that was his real chance in Turkey this Turkey. year. Turkey, I mean, gosh. And I mean, then... It just, just to watch him drop back through the field after that pit stop, it, it, it was heartbreaking. It was, it was so discouraging to see. And I, and this was me at home as a fan watching this. I'm just like, he must just be fuming in the cockpit of that RP20 just, uh, after Lee, you know, being out at the front there for so long and, and driving so well but uh yeah they they certainly like you say they have a real recipe uh, a good recipe and a lot of good ingredients in place there but again one of the the, the big headlines this week that uh, you know got a lot of play on social media midweek was uh Sebastian Vettel was at the factory at Silverstone for his first fitting uh, seat fitting with Aston Martin and my first reaction to that was like oh my god what happened to Sebastian's hair I mean, he's this guy that's kind of had the scruffy, kind of uh, messy out-of-bed look to... You know, he kind of looks like Sebastian Vettel's older brother with a kind of receding hairline. It's just like... You know, I, as soon as I, I saw those pictures, I, I'm not going to knock the guy for the way that he looks, but I, I, the first thing I thought was, well, you know, how, how soon before it's like the, the, the pictures of, uh, you know, how 2020 started and how is going memes come out. And of course they were all over the place, uh, before the day was out. But, uh, yeah, that was, uh, it, uh, you know, I have to admit, I was really surprised to see Sebastian, you know, very, Thin on top there, that was uh, not expected, but great to see, you know, that uh, again, like we're saying, exciting time of year, you know, see a driver and a team like that getting seat fitting means that uh, things are are really going to start happening for real soon. So kind of cool to see.
0: I have no business talking about somebody else's personal appearance, especially if you <laughs> tune into us on uh, on YouTube. Um, especially with the the effort I make to uh, improve my appearance for this show. But I and again I I don't think what we're doing is joking, and we're not having fun as an expense. But I was a little bit alarmed when I saw that photo, and I'm just like, is that is that Vettel? And it's it's either because maybe we've just known him so long, right? Like he's been in the sport since like, Like he used to have that long uh, boy band kind of bowl cut that came down to his eyes with the long bands and it's retreated and it's retreated. But yeah, I was, I was pretty alarmed. And at first I'm like, is he, is he okay? And then I began to realize, you know what, this is just, the byproduct of age, right? Like yeah. we're there, he's there, LeBron James is there, and LeBron James gets ridiculed for his hair endlessly. And I think he's <laughs> now addressed it through surgery. But uh, but yeah, I was a little bit alarmed when I saw that photo. But what I was really excited about, and you just touched on this, is that Aston Martin continues to dump these teasers, and one of the latest teasers is is uh, Vettel rolling crazy. up to the factory yeah. in his SUV, gets out. They open the door, and it's like I want to see more. I didn't know that I wanted to see more, but I want to yeah. see more.
1: Their their social media is on point. They're doing such a good job. You know, they're 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 getting people talking about them for all the right reasons. Totally. Yeah. Yeah all right uh, well let let's talk now about uh, one of the other uh, big teams and uh, this is a Red Bull who are apparently getting quite frustrated about the the, the fact that these uh talks and the discussions uh, about the engine freeze from 2022 going forward it just uh, it, it's not happening it's supposed to be on the, the the agenda for discussions at the highest levels and you know it's it's just not getting to uh you know not getting addressed so it might even have to wait a couple more weeks until the Formula one mission meets uh, to discuss the issue and stuff like that and i have to admit i i completely understand why they would be upset about this and be uh, frustrated about this because as, as we talked about I, th- I believe it was last week on the show that i i think this is an absolute top priority for formula one it's absolutely a top priority for for red bull and if they're putting it off, I mean, especially in this day and age, that you can get you know five, six, ten people in a room in a Zoom meeting, it should be easier than flying people all in from all over continental Europe or wherever it is. It should be easier now than ever to get people to sit down and 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 discuss something like this. So I completely understand why they're frustrated about it because I don't. I just get the vibe that they're not treating it with the the sense of urgency and importance that I believe that it uh, that it deserves and warrants.
0: Yeah, this is total garbage. Uh, I'm, I'm not even a Red Bull fan, and, and I'm genuinely frustrated. There's no conceivable way that this shouldn't have been tabled and addressed weeks ago. You know, Red Bull's in this really difficult position, right, where, you know, our engine suppliers leaving the sport – We're willing to pay whatever it takes to buy that IP so we can produce the engines that become a works team and potentially become a supplier to other teams, right? Because that should be the FIA and Formula One's biggest fear is that you continue to lose engine suppliers. And if the Alpine project doesn't work out, what's to say Renault's not out of the sport in two or three years, right? Like you need teams or you need people producing engines you you don't want to be indycar where you have to rely on two providers you can't you can't survive with a honda and a chevy like one of the things that makes this sport so great is that you have so many different manufacturers competing and producing different formulas but it's a real detriment to the sport and the credibility of formula one as the elite open wheel racing series if you continue to hemorrhage engine producers and you have red bull who have the financial resources to do it And all they need is a commitment on the engine freeze timelines. Like, we will buy the IP. We will build the engines. We will potentially supply engines to other teams. We just need a commitment on timelines and they're not getting it. And I think their frustration too is, and this is more speculation than anything, but are the other teams intentionally putting them in a difficult position so that they can buy time to continue their development and get a leg up because Red Bull's not investing any money in that Honda IP now because Mm. it doesn't make sense if the engine regulations don't go their way and they have to seek a different supplier. But I think it's dirty and frustrating. And to your point, in the world of Zoom and Teams, how difficult would it have been to have a meeting and get all 10 teams via Liberty on and just address this once and for all?
1: Yeah, I I mean, in this day and age, more than anything, I mean, the one thing that we've all learned over the past year apart from washing our hands and not touching our face and coughing into our elbows and all the stuff that uh, that we're sick to death of by now is the fact that uh, that video conferencing is a thing and it's extremely effective and you know you can get a lot more done in a lot less time because now you know e- even just in, in, in a day-to-day thing I don't have to jump into a car and drive across town and right. waste totally. half half a day just going to a 15 or a 30 minute meeting or something like that it, it's, it's really taught us something and like I agree I, I think you 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 worded it uh, correctly when you said it, it's garbage. Anyway, sticking with Red Bull, Total Wolf says that he believes that Red Bull is going to be a much stronger opponent now that they've added Checo Perez to their lineup uh, to partner up with uh, Max Verstappen for for twenty twenty one. And uh, I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I completely understand the ethos uh, that uh, that that Red Bull has with their their academy with Alpha Tauri and tra- that that funnel that they have to bring drivers up. I mean, it, it certainly worked. In, in, in some cases with Seb Vettel, with Max Verstappen, and it's been, um, you know, it, it, there's been some, you know, some, some. You know, misses as well. I mean, Gasly is one, Alex Albon is another. You know, just hasn't really panned out. Maybe not in the time frame that uh, they they'd, they'd expected. So, I mean, it was a real sort of very unread Bull move to bring in Sergio Perez. But again, when when you had a driver of his caliber out there on the market after the you know, the way that the you know the silly season played out last year with Vettel taking his seat at Aston Martin, why would you not make a move for for, for Sergio Perez? I mean, he he's been in Formula One for a long time. He's a great teammate. He brings a lot to the team. And uh, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what this Verstappen uh, Perez lineup is going to bring next year. I, I think it's going to be, I mean, there, there's a lot of different interesting threads to pull on throughout the year, but uh, th- this is one that we're going to be watching right from the the, the very first practice session, without a doubt.
0: The, the, best, the best part of this driver lineup is the fact that Perez is going into this situation with a one-year deal, and and I think what I'm most excited about is he doesn't have the security of knowing that I get a second year after this, and and I think he's going to approach the season differently than maybe a Gasly or an Albon would have in the sense that, hey— I'm here to win races. I've won a race. I've secured podiums. I've been in the sport for 10 years. I've been around much longer than you have, Max. I just, I think his mental approach to the races is going to be very different than what anyone who came through the Red Bull Academy's approach would be. And I just think his, his, Actual racecraft will reflect that, so I can't wait to see. I expect to see friction between the two drivers. To be totally honest, and, and I can't wait to see it. I mean, they both have an agenda, and Max's agenda is to be a world champion driver, and Sergio's agenda is to win races and demonstrate that he deserves another long-term, high-value contract. But I cannot wait to see what this is. Uh, what this is going to look like, and I think the only other comment, and you you made a great point by bringing up the the Red Bull Academy. I think at some point there's some value in starting. starting. Starting to dissect maybe what's gone a little bit wrong with red bulls academy this is a this is an organization that's done a really great job of developing drivers you know obviously vettel was a product of that academy and ricardo was a a, a product of that academy and max is a, a product of that academy but for every kind of star there's two or three drivers that seem not to to hit in formula one and then just at the at the premier level there just seems to be a lack of management and nurturing of the drivers and we We've talked about this so much when we talk about Albon and Gasly and the way those two drivers are treated and handled, blah, 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 blah. But I think there's something a little bit toxic about that academy. And I think that's something I would like to dig into a little bit deeper down the road. And maybe we can get somebody on from the press in the UK that can talk to us a little bit more about it. But I think there's something, I think there's some underlying issues there at that organization.
1: Yeah, well, it's interesting too, because you have to think, I mean, you, you they brought Danny Kvyat back into the system, like after he was he was demoted from, you know, promoted, then demoted and and then he right. out of the system. He was like a, what, simulator driver for Ferrari for a year. And then they didn't have enough drivers in the system that had enough points to get their super license. So, I mean, hey, it works out, uh, you know, pretty good for the, for the torpedo. But, uh, you know, I, I was really surprised when that happened because, you know, they're obviously putting a ton of money into this uh, a- a- academy with the end goal of developing these young drivers, bringing them up through the system, getting their feet wet in uh, Toro Rosso or Alpha Tauri as it is now, with the end goal to bring them to, to, to Red Bull to ultimately compete f- and win uh, races and, and, and championships. And it's kind of uh, it stumbled a little bit. So, I mean, as much as it was a big, um, sort of a, a very un-Ferrari thing to sign Charles Leclerc a couple of years ago, because I mean, typically they do not bring young drivers yeah into the team that was yeah. very much uh, you know great the, point you know that that, that they hadn't done b- before it was obviously worked out extraordinarily well and now it's a very similar uh, for uh, for Red Bull to bring in you know Chaco Perez who's not a Red Bull driver he's an older driver but I mean that's very different to what they do so that's why it's going to be interesting to see how does this pan out when they go so very much against their own model and, and break that template so like I say just one of those different threads we're going to be pulling on and watching uh, all season long anyways mark let's take one final break here on the show and come back we'll start to wrap it up but uh, not too soon we still have a couple more interesting stories to talk and discuss and we'll do that in just a moment so don't go away we'll be right back All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And uh, well, we're, we're still here, still sitting in the garage. Uh, we're, we're digesting the telemetry and the numbers from the cars out on the track. Well, maybe not, but uh, th- that would be the dream one of these days. But uh, I guess I'm just uh, so grossly unqualified to be an engineer in Formula One. But uh, one can dream, can't they? Anyways, uh, this is one that uh, really uh, caught my eye earlier this week. And this is a Ferrari team principal, Mattia Bonato, saying that he doesn't believe the Scuderia can capitalize on the change of the rules in 2022, much like a Mercedes did in 2014. And, uh, again, I find it very interesting, just the tone coming out of uh, Ferrari the last uh, year or so, really downplaying expectations and, uh, you know, really saying, well, it's not going to be this year, maybe next year, but we don't really expect to be, you know, competing again until 2022 or sometime thereafter. But the point that uh, Benato was making was, uh, was was not so much the change in the formula, but uh, I, I think that the one thing he was really referring to was why Mercedes was uh, so you know, successful out of the gate was the fact is that they spent so much time developing the new engine, the turbo um sorry, the V6 Turbo Hybrid coming into 2014 that they literally were miles ahead of everyone else, even though the other manufacturers had been developing their own uh engines uh beforehand. I mean Mercedes were just that much further ahead of everyone at that point in time. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I I I struggle with Ferrari. I, I appreciate that from a leadership perspective you're, you're probably better off to demonstrate a little bit of humility in public. And this isn't the first time we've seen this, right? I I think the challenge for them is they were grossly criticized throughout most of this year for their performance. They were grossly criticized throughout 2019, despite the fact that their performance wasn't terrible, but they were grossly criticized because of their mismanagement of their driver situation. I, I think, I think they're kind of setting expectations early, which is, Hey, look, we don't expect to be hyper competitive for all the reasons you know, um, and we know what those reasons are. It was because the FIA had concluded that they were doing something suspicious with their power unit during 2019, and they were caught. But for that reason, the fact that they're adapting to the news cost cap error, and the fact that they've got two relatively young drivers, um, I, I appreciate what they're doing, and I think they have to hedge their bets a little bit. Uh, I think what I think what the press wants, and I think what the the Scuderia faithful want, is that they're going to come out and and claim that they're. Going to compete, but that's not realistic. So I, I re- actually appreciate and respect the position that they're that they're ultimately taking on this. Um, the other consideration too is just kind of in the the language of the cost cap. One of the other things that you and I had talked a lot about um, recently is the fact that Ferraris in this unique position because even though with the implementation of the cost cap, they're probably going to lose headcount. Their their full time equivalent headcount is probably going to drop, but because they have great relationships with obviously Alfa Romeo slash um, Sauber and the Haas team that they had that opportunity to kind of distribute some of their headcount among their partner teams but that said I I do agree that I think they're doing the right thing by kind of hedging their bets in terms of communicating what their expectations are for for this season but that said too you know I get it and you make that great point about the fact that Mercedes was just leaps and bounds ahead of everyone else in 2014 That was seven years ago and these teams have had enough time to develop power units and catch up. It's just, it's unfortunate that the way that Ferrari ultimately did that was by cheating. But, anyways, that aside, I promise that I'll promise I'll stop bringing that up.
1: Oh man, you know, I'll you know full disclosure here. I have a soft spot to, for Ferrari, but that's that whole engine thing. Oh my god, it still bugs me. You know that that whole secret deal and things like that. If it bugs me, I can't imagine what it does to people like Christian Horner, to Toto Wolf, to all the other you know, or you know, like guys like Gene Hass and Günther Steiner, you know, and, and you know anybody that's or the the Ferrari customer teams. The whole it just bugs me a year down the road it just uh
0: and what we don't know though is we attribute that performance to cheating in 2019 we don't know if they were doing that in 2018
1: 2016
0: we don't know right because remember 17 18 18 especially they were hyper competitive Yeah. like and imagine if they'd managed to secure one or both of those championships and then they were caught cheating a year later like like, the, the damage that that could have done to the sport, like, it's actually really fortunate that they didn't win that title because if they had, and then they'd been caught cheating, like, the reputational and optical damage to the sport could have been pretty significant.
1: You know, one of the uh, the, the, the podcasts that I really enjoy listening to, I highly recommend, it's called uh, American Scandal. And I just listened to the series that they did about uh, Volkswagen, the d- defeat device oh, wow. and all that. And, you know, it's about a five or six-part uh, uh, miniseries. Very, very well done. And I've often wondered, was... Perhaps and this is pure speculation. What, you know, was it some sort of engine mapping thing? You know, was there some way that they were able to get around? Because the whole speculation was like the you know they're burning more oil than they should be, even though that uh, you know the the engines, the power units were getting uh, you know inspected by the FIA and all that, and they you know they were you know, supposedly legit and everything like that. So I was wondering, was it uh, not so much the the physical way that the engines were being built, but were they doing something sneaky? You know, so, yeah. somewhere else, in that what it was. So that I'm just going to plant that seed, you know, but whatever it is, they've paid the price and they <laughs> really paid the price on the track uh, in terms of results uh, from from you know, lat- well, basically the the latter part, part of 2019 and all the way uh, into this year as well. So.
0: I'll just add one other quick piece and I, and I know we're running late, but you just made a point that really resonates with me. I think a lot of people myself included were frustrated that there wasn't a financial penalty associated with mm. the the, the catch, but in a sense there kind of has been, there right? Is, yeah. Like they hemorrhaged cash this season and they're gonna hemorrhage cash next season because of where of where they're gonna finish ultimately in the constructors championship. So yeah. even though there wasn't that kind of monetary fifty million euro slap on the wrist, they're they're taking it Either way, because they're not going to be able to cash in on those championship points.
1: Exactly, hundred percent. I, I mean, it, it's a fine in a different uh, d- different form. But sticking with the Ferrari, I mean, uh, Carlos Sainz had his first test uh, with them this uh, this week. You know, it looks a little bit funny to see, but you know, in, in in the in the red, but you know, it suits him. It looks good. He looks happy. He totally. said it was uh, an unforgettable run for Ferrari. And I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, it is the most iconic mark in the world when it comes to to, to motor racing. I think that uh, that that everybody would uh, you know, given that opportunity, would love to 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 race for them. And I mean, like we said uh, b- before, what with Mick Schumacher coming and race for Haas and everything that uh, you know, the, the the potential story and the you know that uh, that could bring in itself. I mean, I, I don't think that uh, you know, suggesting that uh, Carlos might be under pressure is uh, too far of a stretch, which we've uh, talked about uh, before. But certainly wish him well, and it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see what that delta between Charles Leclerc. And uh, Carlos Sainz is uh, going to be uh, this year.
0: By the way, I'll just add that uh, it was a bit of a jerk move that Ferrari had him testing the 2018 spec SF71H. And I think Charles <laughs> was even piloting the 2017 car. Like, hey, guys, get, it, get a dose of this. And by the way, when you roll into preseason testing, the car is going to be a shell of what you experienced in uh, <laughs> in January. Like, That's a bit of a jerk move that Carlos's first first sensation in in a Ferrari car is something that won't even be remotely relatable when he actually gets to Bahrain in in February and March.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, you know... Yeah, I have nothing to add to that. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's a good point. Anyways, um, Ross Braun, the managing director of motorsport at Formula One, has uh, resigned. He's got a new contract uh, to stay with uh, with Formula One under uh, Liberty Media. So, I mean, he's been there for a couple of years. I mean he uh, he's uh, been on board basically uh, ever since uh, Liberty Media took on uh, took on the the you know took over from uh, Bernie Ecclestone a couple of years ago. And uh, I think it's a uh, really good. I, I think that uh, Braun is one of these guys. He's obviously an extremely smart guy. He's got the history in Formula One. He's been there, done that. And he's the kind of guy that uh, I, I think you need somebody in, like Ross Braun in Formula One because... Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's better with somebody like Ross in the sport than without. I mean, of course, one of these days he's going to say, "Hey guys, you know, I've had enough. I'm going to retire and go home, and watch from my couch." And of course, that's uh, that's another story. But I think he brings just a, a wealth of knowledge and of experience that uh, that Formula One needs.
0: Yeah, I think maybe the the only disappointment that I had was I had been. I I, I can't really say I was lobbying for him to get the role of CEO when Chase Carey stepped aside. And and obviously, Stefano Domenicali got the role. But uh, I I thought he could have been a perfect fit. And I think what a lot of people kind of assumed was at 66 years old, do you really want to put somebody that's close to 70 into a stewardship role with this sport? Um, The great news is, I think the other assumption was that when Stefano was announced, the belief was that Chase Carey would depart. And I'm very, very, very thankful that the two of them have been able to kind of renew a relationship that they have going back to their shared Ferrari period um, to be able to lead the sport, because I think I just I, I feel like. I feel like Ross Braun is, in a lot of ways, the backbone of Formula One over the last 20 or 30 years, right? Like, this is a guy, he's with Benetton from 91 to 96, wins a couple of titles. He goes to Ferrari from 97 to 06, wins six constructors and five driver titles. He goes to Honda in 08. The team basically... He managed to put together a consortium to buy the team, turns it into Braun GP. They wedge a Mercedes engine into the back of it. They win a title. He then spends the next three years helping to build up the Mercedes project. And unfortunately, he leaves before he can taste any of the successes. But everything he has touched in the sport has turned to gold. And Mm -hmm. Formula One is better for having him. And I'm very, very thankful that they were able to find a way to renew that partnership because this is a guy that the sport desperately needs. He's a great guy. Guy. He's got a great history. He's been a team principal, a technical director. He's been on the ground. He's been on the paddock. He's been in the executive office. I, I There's there's not anything greater that I could say about this guy other than the sport is better for having him around.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's a really interesting. Uh, if you guys haven't, I highly recommend getting a copy of the, the, the book, Total Competition, uh, that Ross uh, released. Uh, well, I think he published it about, what, about three years ago now? Yeah. It's very, very good. And it, it's very philosophical. And uh, you know it's a it's a really interesting way that it's written because I can't remember who the co-author is, but he also Adam, Adam Parr, yes, Adam Parr, Adam Parr, hundred percent, you nailed it. Um, but it's very interesting because the way that uh, that the book is written is almost Adam conducts like a long form interview, and I think it is very very interesting how they both relate to their their personal experiences inside Formula One and also the 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 philosophy. I mean, Ross draws like quite a lot from Sun Tzu's Art of War, and like oh, a, yeah. a lot of the but yeah, and I mean, like the like the 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 philosophies that uh, that he applies to things was absolutely fascinating. And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I just love getting that sort of look in between the ears, the, inside the gray matter of a guy like uh, Ross Braun. Absolutely, a, a brilliant read. If you you guys love reading about Formula One, that uh, should be on the, the the top of your list if you haven't read it yet or not. And I
0: don't want to be controversial because I, I love the book, and I think I think the value that Adam Parr added was simply he guided, he guided Ross along and he was able to extract some really great information basically through his line of questioning. I don't really care less about Adam Parr's mediocre to non-existent contributions at Williams for a couple of years. So (laughs) I'm less interested in him sharing and reflecting on his experiences. I just want, and it's funny because it's a big book. It's soft cover. It's super cheap. Pick it up at chapters, Indigo, Amazon. It's a, great summer read um or winter read or spring read whenever Lockdown you can get reads, the book
1: covid read but covid
0: read <laughs> yeah. but uh but i i was actually left wanting more but yeah. he's he provides some really great insights into the decision making at the executive level and the team principal level within the teams soft cover great read pick it up
1: yeah it also is very interesting how some of the uh you know the the, the big names at ferrari over the past 15 20 years have really percolated up to, to the top echelons of Formula One and the FIA I mean you got Domenicali, you got Braun you got uh, Jean Great. Tote, president of the FIA I mean it uh, really is uh I mean what what they did in back in the day especially Braun Rory Byrne uh, Jean Tote uh, and w- with Schumacher in the car I mean that's that I mean it's impressive what uh, Mercedes has done I mean Ferrari were the Mercedes you know 20 years ago so but uh, anyway sticking with uh, Braun uh, he says he wants to see uh, new ideas new formats in Formula One but he doesn't want to see strange results and i've said it before i'm open to trying and experimenting new things But they got to do it right. I don't like this sort of reverse grid thing. And definitely, I don't like that rolling cutoff thing that they tried with qualifying back when was that 2016 It lasted what three races half a season? Yeah, not even No, not even half a season. I think it lasted three races because you know, like, I mean, in theory, it worked really good. But then in in practice, it didn't it didn't work at all because guys knew they weren't going to be able to make their their cutoff times and at some points you know you you had the entire you know field sitting in the grid and there's guys walking around the up and down the paddock in the pit lane wearing their jeans and a ball cap and a jacket you know it's like you know i'm i'm done i can't do that it was absolutely disastrous i mean you know, the, the the format that we have right now with the you know the the Q1 2 and then the the top 10 shootout in Q3 there of course there's probably some ways you can tweak it and and, and improve upon it, but it works. And I think that's why it's stuck around for so long. And I think that's why it highlighted the you know the the shortcomings in that ill-fated uh, you know uh, format they rolled out a couple of years ago that yeah, it might not be perfect, but it's pretty good. And you know, especially that uh, you know you get uh, basically each car goes out a couple times in each uh In each uh, session and especially those last couple of minutes in Q3, I always find it pretty exciting. I mean, basically the hour boils down to maybe the last four minutes that really counts, but it works for me. I'm I'm happy to keep it for the time being. Yeah, and I
0: want nothing to do with his quote-unquote strange results. And I, at the end of the day, I want to see more parity in F one. But I feel like you can get to parity through things like a cost cap and through things like well, really a cost cap. But <laughs> what I don't want to see is I don't want to see parity through artificial yes. um, stabilizers. Like I, the, the idea of a reverse grid makes me so angry because it. It deincentivizes teams that are really logical and intelligent and they have the resource and they make the, the, the right decisions. It deincentivizes them from doing the right things, if you know what I mean. Like if at the end of the day we do all the right things and we bring the best track to the car, what's the freaking point if all these other teams that don't contribute effectively, they make wrong decisions, they they cut corners, like why should they be why should they be rewarded like do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i i'm all for fairness and parity but it's got to be it's got to be done the right way. And I think you can do that through a cost cap and all those other kind of things we've talked about funny results from reverse grids and putting a sprinkler on the Sprinklers, track halfway yeah. through a race yeah. is total garbage. And I want none of that. And I'm happy about the fact that that's kind of where his mindset is. I also appreciate the fact that and he's alluded to this a couple of times over the last couple of weeks is maybe we can look at rotating some, and I think you're probably going to get to this, but you know, if we're going to have a 23 race calendar, what if we had four or five wildcard races and we rotated four or five events every single year? So. Just Just like we used to have the European Grand Prix and that was kind of a shared event that would bounce amongst cities and countries. Like maybe there's, the opportunity for more things like that and that i'm totally cool with
1: mm-hmm. yeah the, the other thing that i think uh, might be interesting is maybe some of these things where you have like double point races or something like that maybe you know it, it, there's something to explore there i mean if there's more parity in it i mean you know if you're giving double points out to say the like the the, the top three uh, uh positions but uh, in in 2021 but each and every race it's hamilton Bottas, and max Verstappen. and then you know what what's really the point oh or, great point yeah, yeah you know i i mean there's there Different things that uh, you can do and different uh, things that you explore, but I don't. I, I think like the artificial means, like you say, we're saying like the sprinklers, the reverse grids, you yeah. know, the throwing the bags of concrete on the back of the yeah. car to like <laughs> weigh them down, you know, to 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 to, to handicap their speed. I th- I you know honestly, I think stuff like that's really corny, and I I think it really it really goes against in my mind, you know, the the spirit of Formula One, and I I don't like penalizing, you know, as as much as that. I would love to see people take it to Mercedes and challenge them on a more regular basis the thing is don't hate mercedes for being good for all those years totally it, 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 the, the onus is on the other nine teams that they have been able to step up and challenge them on a more regular basis so that's don't uh, hate the
0: player e- hate the game and the game <laughs> is the current formula if you know yeah. what i mean don't be upset with mercedes and don't punish them because they were able to maximize based on the conditions that you created which is the current formula yeah. so yeah i completely agree
1: yeah i mean that's why it's it's interesting because this season like we've said before it's almost like a placeholder season it's this yeah. funny season in between but I mean, uh, you know, twi- it's shaping up to be an interesting season for many reasons, but I mean, I, I would be lying to say that uh, I- I'm really glad that they pushed the-, the the new regs off until 2022. Hell no, I really wish that we were going to see these cars this year as originally planned. Of course, it didn't uh, work out that way, but uh, whatever. Anyways, Mar- Mark, I'm going to throw it over to you for the very last uh, story of the night. You brought it up uh, originally this week, so I-, I would be, well, I don't want to say stealing your thunder, but you, you you take this one away. You know, I,
0: if there's one thing I'm good for, it's pop culture references and pop culture news. I'm big into celebrity gossip. I'm big into music. But one of the things that I, I've always found a little bit remarkable is the fact that despite the fact that Formula One has this really great, rich history – there hasn't really been a lot of motion pictures that have kind of taken place in the world of Formula One. I think we were really blessed in 2013 with Rush. I, I still, to this day, I still don't know how that film ever got green lit because the target audience was basically you and me and a couple of our listeners. And they, they basically put together this hundred million dollar <laughs> film for us. And I, again, I love it, but there hasn't been a lot of films in the world of Formula One. And that's about to change. So obviously, I I think we all know that the world of motion pictures and and movie entertainment has changed. And streaming services like Netflix have really begun since 2016, 2017 to start green lighting and bringing big budget theatrical movies straight to streaming services. And what we're expecting to see, and and we're not clear when this is going to happen yet, but probably late 2021 or early 2022 in advance of the 2022 F1 season is, Netflix is actually filming um, a fictional crime film that takes place within the world of Formula One. And the concept is that an actual F1 driver is going to be recruited into this world of crime, presumably to drive a a getaway car for a criminal organization. So I'm super excited. It stars Robert De Niro. It stars a British F or Star Wars actor. And please correct me if I'm wrong. I can never pronounce his last name, but John Boyega? Did I I get that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so it's going to be super, super cool. So the film's actually called The Formula. Um, It's about an an American F1 driver that becomes involved with the mafia and is forced to serve as a getaway driver to save his family. So it's not a particularly unique script, and I feel like I've probably seen that movie a number of times, (laughs) but just the fact that it's going to take place within the actual Formula One world, and apparently there's some licensing agreements and things like that, so it's not going to be a generic racing series. It's actually going to be Formula One. I'm super pumped to see this. I'm expecting, based on some people I spoke to earlier today that are a little bit closer to the production, that Netflix is hoping to drop this immediately prior to the 2022 season as something of a marketing play. Um, So super pumped to see it.
1: Well, yeah. And you know what? The thing is, uh, I mean, uh, Netflix, I, I've, I've been really impressed uh, with the, you know, vast majority of their, their bigger ticket uh, productions, yeah. you know, series and films over the past couple of years. Well, I mean, they won an Oscar for one of their productions. Well, I, I, am the worst person in the world for this sort of thing. But, uh, I mean, uh, they, they, they've obviously put a lot of money into their productions. So I, I expect that this is, well, I mean, when you get somebody the caliber of, uh, Robert De Niro, Involved, you know, it's going to be good. So totally. You know, yeah. You know, just, uh, some, some of the, the, the funny clips that I can I keep, uh, watching is, uh, you know, some of the, uh, Graham Norton show and, uh, on BBC and some of the ones, some of the clips they have with, <laughs> with Robert De Niro. Cause I mean, he's very. You know, he's, he, I mean, he's an interesting guy, but I mean, he's not as animated and as, uh, you know, as, as a lot of other people, but he's still a great guest. So I think this will be a, a good one to watch. But hey, Mark, I, I think we finally got through it, uh, you know, an, an hour and 15 minutes uh, later. It is funny too, just before I I, you know, I I sign off here, you can tell immediately when we, we paired up and joined forces right at the end of the season because uh, the shows when I was doing them solo went from about 45 minutes to 15 50 minutes. Now they're about an hour and 15 minutes long, but hey, it, uh, it it's working. I'm enjoying it. The numbers for the downloads are good and the views are good. So I think we're 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 hopefully you know crossing fingers doing something right. And on that note, thank you all for listening on the podcast. Thank you all for watching on uh, on our YouTube channel. If you want to get in touch, uh, by all means send us an email at scooteryf1pod at gmail.com or tweet us at scooteryf1 pod. And that's it. That's a wrap. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the week ahead. And we'll talk to you guys very, very soon. Bye for now.